What's up, party people? This is Ian Lenhart coming at you live from Santa Monica, California. And rumor on the street has it that it is a damn good day to have a damn good day. And because, you know, it's coronavirus season, let's talk about something that you should be thinking about during this coronavirus issue. And that is outsourcing. So we have all of this extra time on our hands. Utilize this time to identify your strengths and identify your weaknesses. If you aren't currently outsourcing your weaknesses, use this as the example and as the prompt to get you to start. You can go on Upwork, Fiverr, OnlineJobs.ph and post a posting today to find somebody to outsource the things that you aren't that good at. This way you can focus on the things that you are good at and your productivity is going to skyrocket. I honestly wish I had outsourced earlier because I for sure would have been able to do a lot more in less time, but you know, everybody has the learning curve. So I want this to be the final straw though and for all the listeners to outsource some aspect of their life to get that time back. Now, I am fired up about today's speaker. She is an absolute incredible human, has built an amazing business. Let me tell you about the amazing Dr. Courtney Baker. Dr. Baker is an award-winning entrepreneur and host of the podcast, Women in Business. She is a TEDx speaker and a nationally recognized authority on women's leadership. As a leadership expert, mentor, and business coach to female entrepreneurs, as well as being a mother of three, she is passionate about empowering women to close the gender gap through the power of entrepreneurship. Dr. Courtney was named the 2016-2017 Texas Business Woman of the Year and the top 100 in healthcare in America. She's the founder and CEO of Kids Care Home Health, a multi-million dollar healthcare organization with 11 locations and over 700 employees. What I loved so much about Courtney is just her level-headedness and her ability to be able to say so much in such little words. You'll notice that she's very selective with what she says, but she gets her point across so well. And I think that's just from building a huge company and having learned from all those trials and tribulations with just dealing with her time which you know is the most valuable asset we have anybody looking to build a business this is an absolute must listen to podcast so make sure you have a pen and paper out or your notes on your phone and you are digesting this information in this episode we discuss how to scale a company from zero to over 700 employees how COVID-19 has affected the healthcare industry the importance of hiring slow and firing fast and an assortment of stories related to health and business. As always, you can watch this podcast with Courtney and I live on YouTube. And without further ado, episode 90 with Courtney Baker. Let's jump into it. And we're live. Dr. Courtney Baker is in the building. Looking glam, looking glamorous as ever. I love the backdrop. It's so professional. It's just all around good stuff. Oh, thanks. It's so good to be here. And yeah, we're at my office today because, you know, home Wi-Fi and streaming Netflix with the kids is a little, little challenging. So, Right. I know this whole shift of building your business from home, which a lot of people have been doing for quite some time, but a lot of organizations got hit like a hailstorm, you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. And it's very interesting to see the adaption level. Have you seen like some people, because I know your network is super vast and you have friends from all around the world in different positions. How have your friends and, and colleagues kind of dealt with this whole transition to the online space during these times? You know, it's been interesting because in my world, we, you know, I, and I host a podcast and I talked about three different types of people reactions to how all this was going on and there's the first one is the partiers second one is the boomerangs and the third one is the officers and there's the partiers who are like hunkered down pity party crying their eyes out streamers up boombox on full-blown pity party and I get it. I mean, I've been all three. There's no judgment. And then the second one are the boomerangs who they want Starbucks back on. Like they want to meet their friends, go hang out. Like, can we just get back to life as normal? And then the officers who had the maps plotted out a course and said, all right, damn it, let's go. Like, here's our marching orders. Here's how we need to pivot. And so I'm really helping each one walk through that process of going, okay, where are you? Let's assess where you are and let's get to the officer and pivot. Interesting. Yeah. Where did that, where did you first hear about that philosophy? I don't know. I made that shit up. <laughs> oh, there it is. There she is. I love that. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's, it's like, how, how do we react? And I kind of went through my process of what I was dealing with. And I was like, okay, this is, this is kind of like the steps. And when you talk about the steps, one thing that I really enjoy about you is number one, your level of authenticity, you know, you are who you are and like, you're just a real human. And uh, that's amazing in today's world, just being able to just be true to yourself. Thanks. And I just really like how you've kind of gone through an absolute shitstorm up and down throughout your your journey it's been crazy like you've kind of had a lot of those major things that tend to halt people in their tracks i mean you're pregnant in high school you're sing, you're you're going through doing the whole single mom deal going through college and then building an organization to your health challenges to all of these things that derail people but it seems to just make you stronger yeah yeah they have. Yeah. I mean, if you want to go back, like when I was 18, I got pregnant and tr I mean, I'm pretty, pretty open book. I mean, it was the first time I ever had sex and I was 18 and I got pregnant and had my son at 19, six months after I graduated high school. And I went to, you know, all my friends went to college and I went to the Medicaid and food stamps office. And, um, I was waiting tables, double shifts at nine months pregnant just to make ends meet. It was, it, it, yeah. I mean, I've been through quite, quite a lot. Going through an experience like that, does that kind of just leave like a permanent tattoo in your heart and like what you're thinking about? Like, is it almost foundational just to go through something like that? I mean, obviously I'm sure, you know, you're, you're, you, you, you love your child and now it's great because you guys are a close age and you get to unleash the benefits of having like a really good parent child relationship. Cause you're, you know, have so much mutual things in, in common, but I mean, just that experience must kind of mature you very early. Yeah. And honestly, Ian, I have always been 
pretty mature for my age because when I was growing up, when I was 12, my sister was four years older than me and she was 16 and she was diagnosed with multiple sclerosis. And I helped her, like I fed her and I bathed her and I helped her walk and talk. And then when I was 16 and she was 20, she passed away. And so I really ventured into adulthood really early on. I was kind of thrown into that world. And um, yeah, I mean, it's, it's, you have the opportunity. I look at it like you can really hunker down and throw the I'm a victim card, or you can say, how can I use this to make me stronger? And um, that's what I chose to do is really like, I mean, it's, it's been quite a journey to say Dang. the least. So you've been caring for people your whole life. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And now your yeah. organization does that on a massive scale. Yeah. We have about 700 employees and they're all employees, um, you know, W2 employees. And then we also have, God, 5,000 patients we serve in three states over 11 cities. Wow more relevant than ever during these times. And it's yeah. interesting, where does that, where does the, like before you built, you, you start this company and, and you come up with this idea and, and you go through all those trials, like what were some of, did you have any like failed businesses before that, that you thought were amazing ideas that you might've pivoted? Like, can you just walk us through a little bit like those, that gap between post-college to, to building that, that company? It's so funny that you, you when you asked that, cause I remembered. So when my, I was in just finished college and I, I started doing therapy at a school district and I realized really early on, like, this is not my calling. I am not fit for this. I had a caseload of like 83 patients and then, um, to kind of like get my creativity out, I started coloring a lot and making my own therapy materials and then out of nowhere I was like I'm gonna make jewelry so my husband I went and bought and I kind of do everything like to the extreme so I bought like every bead and everything you know all these things so I'm like making this jewelry and I look back and I'm like well no wonder it failed because it was shit it was horrible like I wouldn't have bought that and this was right at September 11th. Like I was working in the school district when September 11th happened. And so, um, you know, the economy was in the toilet kind of like it is right now. And um, I realized quickly that people weren't buying jewelry. So then I kind of like pivoted and then I started doing home health and for kids and going to kids' homes and doing therapy and realized like, oh my God, this is amazing. I went from a caseload of 83 to about 18 patients. And just, how did you even hear about that? Like, were you just working and one day, like a, like a friend says, Hey, why don't you try working with the kids? And you're like, all right, well, I'll try, try it out. Oh my God. That's exactly like she got seriously. I'm not kidding you. She got a letter, a recruiting letter. And she was like, Hey, I can't do this. I'm in grad school, but do you want to? And I was like, sure, I'll try it. So I went and I did the interview and I got hired on the spot, but I didn't start working there right away because my husband and I were getting married. And so I started in, I want to say July or August. 
and um, knew right away, I was like, I love this, but I don't like working for them and decided pretty early on. I was there. I got pregnant in November, started making plans right around then to open my own company. And then in February of 2003, I um, kind of got complacent and I was like, mm, I'm pregnant. It's right after September 11th. My husband's working the night shift in a warehouse. What am I thinking? And then there was this ice storm, freak ice storm in Dallas. And um, the company I worked for was holding my check because they were like, well, you didn't get your notes in on time. And I said, well, the office was closed. What are you talking about? And they were like, sorry, you're going to have to get paid next week. And my mortgage back then, like you wrote checks, my mortgage was on the way to the bank. So my check was going to bounce and they didn't care. And I was like, that's it. That's it. I'm done being an undervalued employee. So I parked the car on the highway of, of uh, Dallas and just bawling. And I threw my hands in the air and I was like, okay, God, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll do it. I'll do it. You've laid this on my heart. I'll do it. And I'm not kidding you, Ian, every step of the way, when it's been hard, he's shown up and said, okay, this is next. This is next. And now, you know, to be in healthcare right now, how crazy is that? You know, I've always been taken care of. That's crazy. Did you bootleg the business? Like what, what happens from there? I mean, I'm sure you didn't have a, a ton of cash. No, I had, my dad had given me $10,000. And I put that in my account and that's what paid my mortgage. I mean, it wasn't $10,000, but that was the cushion to pay my mortgage. And then I had a partner who she put in $2,500 and I put in $2,500 and we started this business with $15,000. And then what's like, what, what's some of the first steps you do? Do you just go out there and find like patients and then you guys just service them yourself. Is that kind of how that works? So she was the office staff and I was the therapist. So she would like, and this was running out of her house. I should show you the house. It's crazy. <laughs> and um, like just only God. And so she was doing the um, internal work. And so I originally had 10 patients and I was like, you know, doing therapy for them. And so then we got really crazy ideas about doing this guerrilla marketing strategy. So I was about to say, do you remember? And you're like, you know, my son's age. So no, you don't. But at Staples or whatever, you have pastel paper, like the different colors of pastel paper that comes in a ream. We printed flyers on this ugly pastel paper does your child have trouble walking talking reading writing and like paid someone eight dollars an hour to go around and put flyers out and the phone started ringing we started getting all these calls crazy so our cases started or you know we started getting all these referrals and then we had to hire and the first step in hiring when you're trying to scale is to hire people who can work, like who can monitor, you can monetize their services. And so we hired speech therapy assistants and I would supervise. And so our cases went from 10, the 10 kids I had to 40 
and then we just kept growing. It's crazy. And it just scaled like that. So the idea was how many patients can you handle? How many speech therapists do you need? You probably got it down to a pretty, pretty unit economic science at that point. And then it was like, oh, I no, we were just like fly by the seat of our pants, figure this shit out as we go. It's like building the plane while you're, while you're flying. Do you remember, like, was there a certain part that you can, like, you know, once you start having this staff and you all of a sudden have this responsibility to all these humans that rely on the organization to pay their bills and feed their family? Like, did you get to a point where you're like, yo, I'm in over my head for sure? Um, over my head, I don't know if I've ever felt that, but it's been a huge responsibility that I take very, very, very seriously. So we had right away, we had a, um, probably year two, we had a therapist commit over $100,000 in fraud, insurance fraud. And I knew it and she knew it. And I thought, you know what? I could very easily sweep this under the rug. But my speech therapy license and the people who depend on me count on me to make the right decision. And I turned us into the OIG, the Office of Inspector General. And I was like, look, here's what happened. Here's what we did. We'll pay the money back. But I just want you to know that, um, you know, I, you can do whatever you want. You can shut us down, but here's what happened. And that so was scary. So you just like had to decide because you knew the consequences of you being transparent, but do you feel like your customers or just your clients felt that transparency and it almost strengthened it in a sense? I didn't tell the patients, but I mean, our, our employees, like I just said, um, there was, there was a lot that went on during that time, honestly. Um, like I had uh, two days after we opened the business, we were sued by our former employer so that was fun. And then my partner and I had some eth ethical differences. And so like I was dealing with that. I was dealing with her. I was dealing with the lawsuit. I mean, it was just, it was a complete shit storm. The lawsuit that you're like, you ain't sleeping right. Your health's probably deteriorating a little bit because you're just not focusing on yourself. Well, <laughs> then, I mean, it's like, how, how is this real life? Like then in 2005, I had a pulmonary embolism, which is a blood clot in your lungs. And 30% of the people who have those die before they even get to the hospital, like drop dead, have no idea what even happened. Where are you when you have that pulmonary embolism? At home. So you're just like, what? Like you're just doing your doing the. Is this the story that you briefly mentioned with? No, that's a separate story. So t talk about that. So you're at home, because the health stuff, like, it hits home for me. I I get so like, whenever we realize just how fragile and human we are, it's just like, oh, it's crazy. So yeah. walk us through. You're you're doing your thing. You're doing the laundry, whatever. And all of a sudden, you just feel like a tightness in your in your chest. Like what happens? I'd actually had an elective surgery and I was laying in bed and these are pretty common when you have surgeries, if you don't get up and walk around, why it's so important. So I was laying in bed and I just kept feeling like a knife in my side. And I called my husband and I, I swear to you, I, my dog saved my life because my husband wasn't home and I called him and I was like, 
I'm having trouble breathing. I've got this knife in my side. Like, I don't know what's going on. And my dog, I couldn't get up. And my dog was outside and I was like, please come let her in or him in at the time. It was a him. I said, please come let him in. I can't get up to do it. And he came and, and took me to the hospital and yeah, I'd had a pulmonary embolism and had to have, um, clot clotting. Like it's, it's called Coumadin. So to thin my blood. Nice. Yeah. Well, not nice, but yeah. Pretty I mean, dope. It's, pretty dope that we live in a society where you can fix that. Mm -hmm. Oh my gosh. We are so, so incredibly advanced when it comes to, to medical things here. It's so crazy to think that the history of the world, that just in the past 30 years, like things have changed so much, like to be a human in today's world at this point in time in 2020, yeah, we got the Corona homie trying to rain on our parade, but just to be living during this time where it's actually possible to live mm -hmm. to 110 years old is wild. I know. And then I'm like, shit, I don't know if I want to be 110 because my knees have arthritis already. <laughs> right. I've been, yeah. I, I, I mean, the, the science of getting old, that's an interesting thing. It's yeah. an interesting thing. Yeah. But it seems like love and like, like family and like that comes in so much more than ever before. Mm -hmm. Oh, absolutely. It's like everything goes into focus when that happens. And that really is what happened when I had, um, in, in 2012, when I had my stroke, um, I, I was at home on that one and, um, just, I had started the month before that. And I don't know if you and I had talked about this, but the month before that I had started my doctoral program at Pepperdine and I decided like I really wanted to focus on what I could do to make that little 19 year old self feel worthy. And I was like, you know what, I'm going to go back to school and I'm going to get my doctorate degree. And I chose Pepperdine in their organizational leadership program because I knew I wasn't going to be a therapist anymore, but I, what could I do to be a better leader? And so I studied women's leadership, but I started the program in August of 2012. And in September, a month later, let me back up. So I started the program in August and in orientation, I was asked, all of us were asked to write our 80th birthday toast. What would we want to hear about the person we had been at our birthday when we're 80. And I realized during that time that I was like, oh my God, I am not living as the person that I want to be remembered for. And it hit me. And then a month later, I had a stroke in two places and had a seven hour brain surgery. And it hit me during that transition, like, you know, when I, that recovery process, that could have been what people remembered me for right then if I did, if, if that had been my last day, my last breath. And that was not, and I was like, that's not what I want to be remembered for. And so 
it took me a while. Um, but I actually, I quit drinking in, in May. It'll be four years. Congratulations. Thank you. I got my life back. Was that like your only vice? Yeah, pretty much. Um, yeah, that and work. I love to work. And, um, And actually in 2012 was when I transitioned out of the daily operations of kids care and um, then, you know, went back to school for leadership and then studied women's leadership and the challenges, why there are so few women in the top levels of leadership. And my research found that there are four main challenges that women go through and then I started like digging further in the research and found that women are estimated more than a hundred years away from gender equality at the sea level. And that pissed me off because I have two more kids. I have two daughters who are 12 and 16. And I was like, what can I do to decrease the gender gap for them? And so now I coach and mentor women to start and scale their own businesses, service-based businesses. And, um, so yeah, I, it was, but you know, right after I finished my doctorate, I didn't have anything to do and I'm a doer. I'm completely a hundred percent like busy, busy, busy all the time. And it was really hard for me because I had to sit still and, uh, that's hard. So I I started drinking. How, like what's drinking? Like how many, like what's an average night? Are you like ripping like four drinks, five drinks? Like, like, is it just a glass of wine? Oh no. It was like two bottles before two o'clock in the afternoon. That's like so savage of you. First of all, like, <laughs> wow. <laughs> I told you I'm balls to the wall. Like make it happen. Damn dude. Meeting you like if college you had gotten like that. That would be, that must have been an interesting human. Well, I didn't drink a whole lot in college because I had my son. He was two when I went to school. Like I was taking backpack on me and backpack on him. I feel like at some degree when it comes to say like marijuana, drugs, alcohol, like every human discovers these things at some point in their life. A lot of people discover it at an earlier stage, which I think is what college in particular is great because you kind of get it out of your system and learn. Mm-hmm. Um, but some people discover these things in later stages, 35, 40. And I feel like you got to almost, you know, become a pothead, become an alcoholic, become a druggie, just to like be able to say no to all those things and like gain refocus in your life. But that's just a theory. I would go with that. Because, yeah, I mean, I was probably, God, how old was I? It's probably, well, I'm 45, so I was 41. I was 37 when I had the stroke. I was 41 when I quit drinking. So, yeah, and I never experienced that in college. But, see, I stayed away from the hard drugs because I knew I am such a, like, all or nothing kind of person. I was like, that'll be the end of me if I do that. So, you know, I'll just drink. (laughs) that is like a common attribute of super top performers like they'll get addicted to whatever they do both good and bad Mm -hmm. and it's like if you don't check yourself out the door it's like you don't just smoke a cigarette every once in a while or a cigar like you're a full-fledged getting the getting the hole in the throat and you're going in you know it's 
you're, you're, you're making it a big deal. And like you said, you're a workaholic and you enjoy success and making moves. And, you know, obviously, you know, you've achieved pretty much like in, in terms of life, like all the possessions you own and the house and, and the lifestyle. I mean, it's, it's as pinnacles, but you've achieved that years ago. What mm-hmm. happens when you hit that point where you have everything that you think you ever wanted? And I'm sure like you come to a point where you might be bored or you just might be like, I need something new. Is that kind of where a transition went into helping women or mm-hmm. was that, is that where that was? Yeah, really. It was like, what, what can I do? And, and honestly, you know, I, I see a lot of business coaches out there who may know pieces of business but because I've been doing this for 20 years, I can pull all that together. And that's what I really wanted to do was offer, if you want to scale your business, let me walk you through that journey because I've been there. And yeah, I mean, if, if I don't help women open and scale their own businesses, then I feel like I haven't served my purpose here. Interesting. And it's also interesting too, because if you can help very, very successful people scale their business, get their business off the ground, you can also have such a bigger impact. And that's why accelerators have been really interesting to me, Mm -hmm. like different programs that do these accelerator programs. Now there's good and bad about all of these things, right? Like good in the sense that you can mutually benefit off of helping a company get to its next level, bad in the sense that companies can get taken advantage of. But yeah. that's like everything in the world, right? That's every sales pitch out there. There's people out there that, you know, you got to judge their character and stuff. But being able to do the whole Shark Tank philosophy of being able to then invest your hard-earned dollars and your time and your experience into people that could be the next Elons and the next Courtney Bakers and the people that are leaders in our society that are making moves, that's like such a dream. Like to get to a point in your life when you've had that success you've built the company, you've scaled the company, you've seen the ups and downs, the ugly, the South, you've been through the emotional challenge, you've, your brain just becomes diamond and, and hardened by the experience and then trying to get people to go through it. I guess I'm curious, is there a way, even in your greatest leadership coaching and mentoring, is there a way to truly be able to coach someone to almost have them become the output of going through those challenges without having to go through those challenges. Like, I guess what I'm trying to say is, does somebody have to go through it themselves to truly understand it? I think maybe to understand it, but I can shave and help them shave so much time off their learning curve, Mm. if that makes sense. So, you know, also the connections, you know, that I have, it's like opening the Rolodex and saying, here, here are all the people I've vetted them. You don't have to do your own research. Here you go. And, and also, you know, marketing strategies and, and looking at financials and understanding that, like saying, no, 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 that you have to, you may be uncomfortable with math but I don't care. You get comfortable. If you're a business owner, you got to get comfortable. It's having those conversations where I don't want you to have to lose $3 million overnight. Like I did in, you know, 20, what, what, I don't even remember what year it was. 2017. Yes, I do. What caused that? 
I'm in healthcare and, and, you know, we are government related and, and changes in the funding. Mm -hmm. And so, um, I mean, it was to no fault of our own. It was just changes in regulations that reduced our funding by 27% like that. Interesting. Yeah. How, How have the current times with Corona and stuff impacted your business? We pivoted in three days. I, and that's the thing, like I have built with an incredible team. I mean, I have built an incredible team and that's the thing. Like you always hire smarter than you because if you don't hire smarter than you and you're scared of like someone's intellect, then you'd rather them be on your team than your competition. So my, and my, my, my executive leadership team is phenomenal. And, um, yeah, we pivoted to telemedicine in three days. And your organization, you said is 700 plus and you pivoted a 700 plus organization in three days. Mm-hmm. So was that pivot from particularly like, how can you explain kind of what that looked like? Yeah. My, um, my president is the VP. Well, he used to be VP of IT and finance and now he's over the entire operation so I can do whatever I love to do. Mm-hmm. And he actually doubles as my brother-in-law. So that helps. And um, yeah, I mean, he, he kind of saw things coming when, and he also had army training. So he's, he's kind of like just this perfect, you know, diamond in, in my organization. And he saw it coming in Wuhan and said, this is going to come. What do we need to do? And when it hit here and then we went to lockdown, he'd already thought about like, we need to go to telemedicine. Where do we, what do we need to do with our infrastructure? How do we port our phones out to other people? Like he'd already thought about it all. That's amazing. And he just got straight militant with the organization. Like, listen up y'all. Yeah. We're about to go lockdown. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it was amazing. Do you, uh, is there, is there a part of you that kind of like the whole idea of like the zombie apocalypse and the end of the world? That's just kind of like in, not in a bad way, but it's almost fascinating. I have never been into that. It's more like the rapture and like who's going to be here one day and gone the next and be like, where'd they go? You know, that kind (laughs) of thing. But no, I mean, I think Honestly, I think that there's so much at play in all of this that we just don't even have a clue. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, in general pandemics, we're very not too versed. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. And this is a baby one compared to what past ones have been. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, uh, it's taken a toll on the economy and I, I feel so like just, for these entrepreneurs who are, you know, dealing with the, the business ramifications and, you know, and the other thing, like what you were talking about, about that whole shark tank thing, it's like, you know, a lot of those people come in and they straight up want like part of your company. They, they want equity. And then it's like, if you have, if you have given someone equity in your organization, you don't even have control, complete control. And so to have equity and to lack, lack control in something like this, it's like, it's just the perfect storm. 
the perfect storm of being in a, a putting yourself in a tough situation. Yeah, of a shitty storm. Yeah, that does seem to be a common denominator of young entrepreneurs that they can learn from experienced entrepreneurs mm -hmm. because you run in the situation where it's like it makes sense. You know, you're naive, and I don't, I don't. I mean, I don't have a, a deep experience in, inside of my own businesses in this particular field, but from the people I've talked to on the podcast and all my connections that are like have founded these larger organizations, they do mention that there's one or two early decisions that cost them a ton down the line. And it's hard for us to picture that scale because it's like at the time, it seems like the thing that's going to keep us afloat. And when you're just trying to stay afloat, you're just trying to stay in business, you tend to make tough decisions and then, you know, entrepreneurs, investors take advantage of those decisions. Not all of them. Some of them are helpful, but that's the nature of, of humans, right? It's like finding good opportunities, investing in good people. That's a tough thing. Finding good people, right? Like finding good people that, and then the whole idea of not getting too like engulfed into somebody that you don't see past the obviouses. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, look at um, Elizabeth Holmes. Like how many people lost a shit ton of money with that? You know what I'm talking about, right? You're, that's the Theranos. girl who, Theranos, yeah. Yeah. And, you know, I mean, she had everyone snowed and, and it's like, how, how do you vet for those, you know, those kinds of, um, but I think if people looked below the surface, because I'm listening to a podcast about her, and I think if you look below the surface and see those things that you don't want to see, but they start coming up as trends, there's some truth to that. Yeah, I like the whole phrase I hear a lot, fire fast, hire slow. Yes, absolutely. And vet, like do your research. Do, you know, if they give you references, Call them all. Find out what their relationship is to them. You know, don't don't call their mom because their mom's going to tell you they're great. You know, find out real, the people who are business references, not personal references. Interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah, little things to just continue the journey, make smarter decisions, and save you a ton of headache and strokes in the future. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And, you know, I mean, there's, there's so much value in, in finding out how long someone's journey has been. And when you're looking at someone to coach you who's just started, then they're taking you on the journey with them. True. I like the way you like teach. Thanks. You're, you, you say a lot in a little words. I think it's my Enneagram eight. Like I am to the point, get it done. Um, yeah. I, I like to speak in bullet points and not paragraphs. <laughs> right. But I mean, it comes from years of people probably wasting your time. Yeah, it really does. <laughs> it does. And I try, I mean, I try to be also like patient and like, wait it out but it's like okay let's let's giddy up that's my motto giddy up giddy up that's so texas of you <laughs> yeah, thanks <laughs> <laughs> dallas is the spot huh like yeah people, people like love dallas mm -hmm. yeah it's it's always been home i did do some time in illinois for about six years um for school 
and came home as soon as I could. Interesting. I haven't spent yeah. a lot of time there. Yeah. The, the California has its ups, has its downs. Every state has its ups and downs. I guess it really comes down to what feels like home. Yeah. Yeah. It does. does your whole family live there? My whole family. Are you, yeah. are you, are you tight with your family? Like overall, would you consider yourself to have like a, like a super tight fam? You know, I was, or am now, I mean, it was just me and my sister. So I am now an only child. I have some, I have three stepbrothers and I'm tight with them, but not, I mean, I was taught to be so independent. I was raised super independent. My dad and my stepmom raised me. And the motto growing up was don't get your ass into anything you can't get your ass out of. And so I realized really early on I was going to have to sink or swim. So I learned to swim. Damn, that's a really good motto. Yeah. I could just think about so many situations in my life where if I just said that to myself first, I'd be like, yeah. I might not want to do that then. Yeah, that was kind of what happened when I got pregnant. I mean, it was like, well, what are you going to do about this? And I knew with all the loss that I'd already experienced with my sister that I couldn't do anything except raise him. And I actually, I had a foster or a, uh, an adoptive family picked out. I had my seventh grade math teacher was going to adopt him. And I, I felt him move for the first time. And I was like, I just can't do it. And uh, I had no idea how I was going to make it work, but I did. Yeah. Gentlemen, we will never know. Yeah. <laughs> he's, he's, um, he's 26 now and just, um, he lives in Austin and he's, he's my baby boy. He will always be, be my baby boy. It's crazy what people and family motivates people to do stuff, right? When you have responsibility, it motivates you to do stuff. Even if it's a dog or an animal, it's like mm -hmm. having focus, like being a business owner, you have responsibility, you have focus. It's like yeah. the people in life that don't have things that mean a lot to them don't have meaningful lives. Agreed. There's so much. And you know, my, my kids make fun of my dog because they said he's my favorite child. And I'm like, well, kind of is. Um, but he, he's just, he's like my emotional support dog because I don't know about you, Ian, but I, I mean, as an entrepreneur, as a creative entrepreneur, there's a, there's a lot of mental ups and downs that come with it as well. Um, and I mean, I, I've, struggled with depression my whole life and so he's really like who gets me through those hard days sometimes when it's hard you know I'm like well Jackson loves me Jackson's <laughs> my dog and it's just you know it's it's also being real enough with yourself that that people can connect with that because they stand in awe of your success but they really connect with your struggles and it hasn't been all you know texas businesswoman of the year and amazingness i mean there's been some hard hard roads that's so interesting because it's so hard to open up about those things i don't find it hard you know i mean like i said i'm an open book and I, i'll i tell 
you know, the, the young women that I mentor, you know, I, I want you to have these amazing experiences and learn, but I also want you to know that I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I think it's easy when you've made it out the other side to talk about it. It's so easy then. It's like, this is where I was. I was down in the gutters, but then feel felt found. What I found was XXX happened. And now all of a sudden that situation is like, that's easy to talk about. Mm -hmm. When you're in the depth, when you're in the heat of it, it's tough to talk about it because it's almost interesting because people don't want to come off. I mean, I even find that sometimes with my own life and like own health and stuff like that. Like, I don't like to talk about situations I go through simply because I don't want to be negative. Like I'd rather think positive about every aspect of my life and just constantly angle in. And that's why I'm all about, you know, it's a damn good day. Mm -hmm. Like, you know what I mean? So there's like that fine line, but people that only think like manically positive end up sometimes being some of the most sad people. And yeah. I, you know, that's so interesting. Comedians, you know, are some of the most sad people. And, and I think that we also, if you don't allow yourself to go down that road and have those, it may not be a damn good day. And I'm going to sit here in my not damn good day and just let myself experience this. Then that pulls the whole color wheel of life of emotions because how can you tell it's a damn good day if you've never had a damn shitty day well you only appreciate good days because of shitty days mm -hmm. it's like the whole only child effect of of pampered if you're pampered your whole life not all only childs are like this but it's just the idea is that if you're pampered you just never have struggles you never see the happy medium if you always are eating straight octopus every night then you'll never understand the beauty of just a bomb taco. Yeah. Yeah. Or spam or, you know, like beanie weenies. I, I mean, and I, I really see that even in my own kids, you know, Landon has such bigger appreciation for what we went through together when we were, you know, just growing up together, honestly. And, and, my daughters really have been afforded such nicer things, but don't have the appreciation, I don't think. You gave me such an idea. I don't know if it's, uh, we'll see what happens, but maybe one day creating a subset of it's a damn good day to it's not a damn good day. <laughs> yeah. And you could wear your shirt based on how you feel and then go, okay, it's, it's better now. I'm going to change my shirt. Interesting. Yeah. Very interesting. Very interesting. At some point. So, Dr. Courtney Baker. Ian. If, if you could go back in time and you could look back at all the experiences you've had, maybe, uh, I, I wouldn't say right when you got pregnant because still you're still so young at that point, but let's mm -hmm. talk like 21, 22 as if just out of college. And you could have said to yourself one, two, or three things that could have saved you a ton of time money, heartache, headache. And the best, one of the best answers is I wouldn't have said anything because it's made me who I am, just like we talked about. But because of the lack of, of juice in that answer, what are some things that you would possibly tell yourself? 
One, well, let me give you this. I see life and our hard parts as tunnels. And what happens is we get to the middle and we go back to what we know, but we don't realize because the middle is the darkest that it's the equidistance to the end, the light at the end of the tunnel. And it's the same amount of time. So if we just keep going, the light is there. And for me, the light's Jesus. He's always been there through everything and shown up. And he's the only thing in my life that I have found that can take a big pile of manure and make flowers. And everybody's going to have a different light. Yeah. But, and that's why I said, for me, it's Jesus. And I like that, that you said that, because it's like, mm -hmm. it's so, it's the half cup filled, half cup down. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, you're ha all this shit's hitting the storm. It's only giving you freaking influence. It's giving you perspective and there's power in perspective. Mm -hmm. You know, there's an art of having true perspective. Yeah, I just saw a meme that was like, I've never met a strong person with an easy past. Damn, there it is. Cut it off there. That's it. <laughs> We're out. We out. Boom, hit it. Mic drop. <laughs> Courtney, how, uh, if you could say one thing to people that are right on the fence of diving in and starting their own business, maybe they're currently working a, a nine to five gig or you know, they just want to jump in and follow their dreams. And they're just like where you were on that highway that one day, mm -hmm. what would be one, you know, advice tip to them to, to maybe help them get clarity on, on jumping in. Find a mentor. Call me, <laughs> give me something to do. <laughs> I love that. That's strong. I appreciate you. I appreciate the conversations. You're good people. I, I yeah, like, I can't wait to go out to Texas and be able to just hit you up out of the blue. Be like, yo, guess what? What's up? What's up? And uh, I know it's a damn good day. I know we got to get you some of the gear, you know, get, yes. some, get you, I'll definitely be sending you one of these bad boys. Perfect. And uh, I just really appreciate you. This has been a really fruitful conversation. You're real, you're deep, you're authentic. I can tell why your podcast is so successful. I can tell why you've created such a massive organization in a space that is both uh, needed, but is also hard to navigate. You know, mm -hmm. the healthcare system is crazy. Some people, it's a, it's a saving grace, but for others, it's their worst nightmare. Mm -hmm. And for you to be able to go into that industry and build a, a meaningful company and business and inspire people is truly awesome for your legacy. So keep on Thank keeping you. on, girl. Thank you. It was so good to be here with you. And how can people continue to follow if they want to, you know, check you out with your leadership development, if they want to follow you on social media or just anything moving forward? Yeah, I host the Women in Business podcast and you can reach me, Courtney, C-O-R, no you, my mom didn't know how to spell it, C-O-R-T-N-E-Y at CourtneyBaker.com. <laughs> there it is. All right. I appreciate you till next time. That's right. Thank you for listening to another episode of Len Jones Party of Two. If you enjoyed it, please leave us a review and subscribe to stay up to date on our new episodes. And remember, hope is not a strategy. Keep making moves. Till next time.
Peace.